0: And so then, someone pointed out that the numbering of the lessons is a little off. So today should be 39 because the last two weeks we've had two 37s. So, so anyway, I have to remember to you know make sure that I uh, that I get that corrected. But t- so today is 39, okay? But I but the but where we are in Genesis 26, that actually is uh, accurate. So I put up on the board a couple of words that um, we often see in, in Scripture, and we certainly often talk about it in church world, the word trust and the word obedience. Um, what is the relationship of the two? Do they go together? Do they belong together? Are they um, mutually exclusive of each other? I mean, what, how, would you, how, how would you put them together, Austin?
1: I would say that obedience is reliant upon trust. And it depends on the relationship. Trust is not always rely upon obedience, especially if it's like two peers. But a lot of the time it is implicit.
0: Okay, so you said some good stuff and I didn't catch it all. So, you, but you're, you said they're related. Okay. So one is re- reliant on the other. So is obedience reliant on trust?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So if you, if you didn't trust in someone something god whatever it would be then you're not likely to be obedient is that is that what you're saying okay all right um anybody disagree with that
2: obedience sometimes comes out of fear
0: oh that's a good point so sometimes we obey because the prospect of not obeying will get us into trouble Right, And then there would be some consequence to that or some negative bad thing that might happen, something painful. So yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes we look at obedience as something that's coerced or, or uh, demanded of us uh, out of fear. Okay, that could be it. Is there some element of fear in trust? There would be. Uh, how many of you ha- are familiar with the catechism? Yes, and what is the meaning of commandments 1 through 10? They all begin with the same lovely Lutheran phrase of what? We should fear, love and trust in God, etc., etc., etc. Okay? So fear and trust can go together. In that sense, of that there is we have we are in awe certainly of God. That would be part of fear. Um, we are respectful of God. Uh, that would be a part of fear. And then probably also there's just a tiny little bit of terror of God, uh, and we always see that in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see that in our lesson for today as now the focus shifts from Abraham to, uh, to Isaac and I, how Isaac is learning about the connection between trust and obedience. That oftentimes, and people do this a lot today, people say, make this sort of um, uh, claim that when you trust someone, you trust God, if you use that example, that what are you doing? You're placing your well-being into the hands of God, as if it's only a vertical relationship that I have with God, where this the idea that um, I have faith in Him, I trust in Him, I believe in Him, okay, But for a lot of people, there's a disconnect between the idea of trusting God and obeying His Word. In fact, if anything, what's very popular today is to to separate the two, is to say, well, yeah, I do trust, but when it comes to being obedient to the entire Word of God, as it is revealed in the Scripture, that is where there's a variance. That's where I can make decisions about what part of the word I'm going to trust in, or uh, wh- what part of the word I'm going to obey, and then what part of the word I'm not going to obey, because that doesn't fit with my idea of what faith is about. Yeah.
2: What struck me is that trust is also, can be impacted by our expectation.
0: Trust can be impacted by our expectations. So I, I'm going to need you to... It,
2: it, um, I think people that have trouble with God, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a result of an experience where they expected God to
0: intervene. Fill in, in the blank someone, somehow. Okay. And,
2: and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So God is now untrustworthy.
0: That's correct. And it, it kind of tends to be a one shot deal and you're done. Mm-hmm. So there's not necessarily. Um, a patience with w- waiting to see how God is going to work those things out. If anything, that's what we see in the narrative of the Old Testament, is that, um, that there's a long story being told here. There's a, there's a long sort of um, narrative that's being put, put in front of us. And so if, I, if, if my idea of, of having sort of thoughts about how I think things ought to work out, and they don't work out. Then that's it, I'm done. I'm done with God. He didn't come through for me in the way that I expected Him to, or the way that I wanted to, or maybe even the way that I needed for Him to do. And very often, um, when people, when we people, are faced with uh, calamity, or struggle, or hardship, or difficulty, or as uh, the first very verse says, now, there was famine in the land, all right? When we're, when we're uh, uh, struggling with some form of being deprived, which is what famines did, then the conclusion that we draw from that is, well, then God wasn't there for me. And a lot of people today are really looking at it that way. If God's not there for me the way I need for him to be, then I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to look elsewhere. Yeah, Lawrence.
2: There was a time many years ago... And I found it necessary to put trust in the fruit, in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't
0: put any trust in the weather. Oh, so you would trust, you're in an airplane. Yeah,
2: you know, in a storm.
0: Yeah, in a storm. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes in that situation, you have to put your faith and trust and we put it ultimately in God, but we're, we're hoping that the people that are uh, flying the plane know what they're doing as well, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into our lesson for then today. And I, again, I want you to kind of be thinking about, about trust and obedience and the, not just how, how related they are to each other, but even to the degree of how God is, is testing, and, and maybe he continues to do this is that he tests the strength of your trust on the basis of your willing to obey even when it seems stupid to obey or it seems trivial to obey. It doesn't seem like they, it ought to be related somehow, okay? So let's get into it for, uh, for today. Verse 1 says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech king of the Philistines in Gerar. So famine, what's a famine? Sorry. Yeah, it's when the weather and the climate and every the atmosphere everything is working against the productivity of the land which in those days mostly was agrarian. So mostly in those days it was all about crops, it was about raising herds and, and, and flocks and that sort of thing of, of animals, and if you didn't have any water, you didn't have any grain, you didn't have any place to, to, uh, to, do, to graze them, well then your animals were going to die, so was then your, your, uh, your way of making a living. Now where have we seen this name already, Abimelech? Where have we seen him already? Or at least that name. It was only two or three chapters ago, okay, yeah. I know, I know, this is a whole new week, yeah, and we've already moved on. All right, so remember Abimelech, the the Abimelech name was part of the interaction that Abraham had with the king of the Philistines. And this whole thing about, you know, that Abraham's traveling through and his wife is beautiful, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? They're going to take her away from me, and they're going to kill me, so I will say about my wife that she is who? My sister. sister, Right? Okay, now we're remembering. All right. So then what happens is Abimelech or his, his, uh, his men, they come, they take Sarah, and then he figures out later... That Sarah was actually Abraham's wife, not his sister, and so what was it that God did to Abimelech and to all of the men and women in uh, of the Philistines uh, that convinced them that this was not what they thought it was? What what was what did God do? They couldn't have
2: children.
0: Yeah, He took away their ability to conceive. That got their attention. right? So then there's this sort of confrontation that takes place between Abimelech and Abraham, and he says, hey, why did you do this? Well, I was afraid. You know, that story, that part of it. Okay, So then, that's when God first said of uh, Abraham that he is a prophet, and all of a sudden his stature Rose in the eyes of not only uh, Abraham, of course, himself, but also the Philistines. The Philistines themselves were uh, very in awe. And really, from that point on, Abraham became one who was feared his reputation then arose because what Abraham did was he prayed. Remember, he prayed for Abimelech and for the, for, the, for the Philistines, and they then were able to conceive. And so, wow, this is like Abraham is no one to be messed with, all right? But the deal with Abraham was, was that he trusted in God. It's just that there was a learning curve for him to get to the obedience part, you know? And maybe that's kind of how that is for us. Is that, you know, if you're raised in the faith, for example, without a show of hands, there's a lot of us here who were raised in the faith. We we were like little babies, born into or baptized into the church before we knew any better, right? So we didn't know. We just and and then you're raised in the faith, and so then what happens is every Sunday you're there, and 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 then you go through all the stuff that you go through as the faith, right? So we're raised in the faith, but being raised in the faith doesn't necessarily equal an automatic sense of obedience in your life. I think there's a learning curve on that one. I think we have to go through some process, if you will of learning to not trust only God, but also to trust the way that His Word and the value of His Word in our lives. And that's what Isaac is now having to do. See, he grew up in the faith. He was circumcised at eight days old. That was a pretty big deal, right? And so then he's raised in this faith of his father, but you get the sense that the faith of his father is not necessarily yet his own faith that he owned. If you think about it in terms of faith development, sometimes it takes a while for those of us that were raised into faith to finally say, it's not just my father's faith, it's not just my parents' faith, it is now my faith. And that is a process, I think, over time that occurs. So we have this, this situation where there's this famine. I was looking around for some mention of the previous famine. Does anybody, anybody know that? You know, again, the Bible doesn't give us all of the climate history of the world at that time, but it's interesting that he does reference a previous famine. I just couldn't find any reference to it, all right? So what happens is they've run out of food they 've run out of uh, water they they don't know where the, what they're going to do, and so then Isaac goes to Abimelech, presumably with what in mind. Why would he go to the Philistine king who's over the whole area okay, sure. yeah, they're looking around for some deed i mean they're, they're obviously they're looking for some way of uh, restoring their stock of uh of resources, okay. So famine. In the biblical narratives, God used famines to move people from, from one region to another for his purposes. I don't know, is there much of a is there much of an awareness of famines in the US? Or do we have a different, you know, this idea of natural things that occur is more like hurricanes here, but but over I think over in uh in Africa, isn't famine kind of a common thing in many ways that moves people from place to place? Don't know that much, yeah.
1: I think that a modern word for famine in America would be climate change. Climate, climate change. change. I think that's a different population, different time, same concept.
0: Could be, if, but the difference would be is famine, when a famine hits, everybody knows it, and everybody agrees it's a famine. <laughs> Right? Yeah, there's no rain, the grass died, there's only dust, you know, um, nothing's, nothing's growing, all right? And I don't think in those days, you know, they didn't have a government entity that said, this is what that is. I think everybody sort of figured that out, right? But in terms of that whole idea of in God's hands... What could a purpose of that be beyond just his judgment or whatever it is? Could it also be part of moving people from some one area to another? Like, I'm thinking, like, what happened after Hurricane Katrina? Do you remember that? There's a lot of people that said, oh, no more of this for me. And so they all moved, moved west, many of them, and how I knew that was, was that the number of Cajun restaurants that popped up in, uh, in Dallas and Fort Worth and, and, and parts East, it was like, it was just like, boom, like that. And I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing that happened. All right? Yeah. You
2: know, I think that uh, our version, of, most of those people in that time were all
0: farmers. Yeah, it was agrarian. Yeah. That's, that's right. right.
2: Okay. We're not so much that way. We're right. And... Um, it was my observation that um, the parallel for us is we have regional recessions. Regional recession, yeah, regional recession. So sure. you know when uh, when I we moved to Houston, everybody because that's where the oil was. Right? Yeah, and then eighty three, eighty four, the crash, right, right. Yeah. So, I think that that causes people to move around. I'm mm-hmm. find work so that's right I'm that's going right. here and like right now' that's you, know, right. you can't drive anywhere without
0: seeing at least two or three out of state lots of well, and i was as I was driving in this morning, I was sort of listening a little bit to the news and traffic, and they were talking about the number of layoffs now that are occurring in the tech industry, which that sort of gets everybody around here kind of nervous because that's that's a that's a major, uh, major part of life uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. So it just is, is the idea that there are both natural as well as economic factors that play into uh, people being where they are. And the question is then, when those things happen, is there a difference that your faith life can make in terms of your perspective toward those things, even when your faith life probably isn't going to change those things in terms of the weather, the climate, uh, the economy, or anything like that. Yeah, Milo. Uh,
2: I don't know. Are people aware of the 30s?
0: Well that's all about the two thousand thirties. That hadn't happened yet. But that's a good because there was a lot of people that got moved around because the weather Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is anybody here aware of the nineteen thirties? We have a handful of people and some have seen it on the History Channel. I know that for sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. My mom was raised in the, in during the Great Depression.
2: And I I actually I was born and raised in the thirties and I don't remember what year year that was, but there was a year when it, the farming just wasn't.
0: Yeah. When and were
2: born grew about that tall. Yeah. And stopped.
0: That's right. That's right. The Dust Bowl. Did that happen? I'm going to have to go back on my history stuff. Here. The Dust Bowl was actually started before the 30s. Did it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then
2: it continued.
0: But it probably was a contributor. I'm guessing to a lot of people uh, suffering uh, deprivation. Okay. And so see, that's what that's what's happening here. When that kind of thing occurs, you can see where that could be a test of your faith even though it's not necessarily that God caused it for that purpose, right? I mean, th- there's a lot of things that happen in the world because they happen in the world. It's just part of the broken world that we live in. But when they happen, the perspective that you can take is one of, I'm going to trust in God through this. I'm going I'm to hold to His promises because He's holding to His promise for me. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to give up on faith. And that's one of the struggles, I think, that a lot of people today have. Is that when something bad or uncontrollable or something that doesn't make any sense occurs, then that's it. I thought I could count on God, so you know, I'm going to go find something different to trust in. And so some of that comes out of those questions that I have down there uh, under, uh, under the first part there. How will we survive? How will I provide for my family? What if we run out of what we need If God loves us, why is he allowing this to happen? Those are the human questions that we all ask. And sometimes we don't have an answer. I think sometimes people are looking to Christians to have an answer. Tell me why that happened, right? Uh, Tell me how I can uh, answer those questions. And sometimes we don't have the answers either, right? But we still do what? Trust And then we grow in our sense of obedience. Okay, well, let's see what happens. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, so what was happening is that God is teaching Isaac to not think in a rational way. It's quite irrational in this moment, is it not? Because the rational thing would be to go to Egypt. Why? What would be in Egypt that could provide for them? Would answer all those questions. How will we survive? Well, we'll go to Egypt. Well, how will I provide? Go to Egypt. Well, if we run out of what we need in Egypt, you won't. You know, I mean, the, the rational thing to do would be go to Egypt, because in Egypt, what do you have? You have water, you have the Nile Delta, you have the richest area of growth, and there's no famine, and so let's go there. Yes, it's godless, but besides that, there's good stuff to eat, right? There is security. We don't have to worry about our well-being or our survival. Let's go to Egypt. And what does God do? He appears to Isaac and says, don't go there. Instead, live in the land where I tell you to live. Now, what Isaac is having to do is understand that trust and obedience are connected. They go together. It isn't like I can say, well, I trust in you, Lord, but I'm going to go ahead and do what I think is best in this situation. He should have learned from his dad that that didn't work so well, right? That that created some, uh, some difficulty for him, all right? But he says, stay in the land. And then what he does is he reaffirms the promise of the covenant that was made to Abraham and then the next generation made to Isaac, right? He says, don't forget, I, this is the promise that I made to your dad, and this is the promise now that I'm making with you, that there will be blessings of numerous descendants as much as the sand on the sea, as much as the stars in the sky. And because you trust in my word, you can know that your generation is not going to be the end of it. Because when you're starving, when you're deprived, when you're worried about your own survival and the survival of your family, that is a thought that enters your mind. Is it going to end with me? And so what God is saying is, no, it's not going to end with you. I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be with you. And then notice there's this little extra promise in there that harkens back to the promise made to Adam and Eve. We go all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis where he talked about this idea that through your offspring the earth would be blessed, all nations would be blessed. See, the mention of the word all nations Is a term that would be used to describe everybody, not just people of the Jewish faith who had been circumcised. And so we know now, we're able to look back and say, oh well we know what that is. What is that? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, okay? So there is a linkage of the present to the future. But notice he says again, because Abraham obeyed me. Mm -hmm. See? It's, now Now again, does God make His promises come true because we obey Him perfectly? No, Chris, that is correct. that we, we don't obey Him. So what is the relationship of God making these promises to Him? What is the relationship of His obedience? What does obedience do? It keeps me in the fold. Right? God makes his promises and he says, Hey, I'm going to bless whoever is f- faithful to me. I'm going to bless you. But so the blessings are going to come. The question is, are you going to be on the receiving end of those blessings or are you going to say, I don't want those blessings because I don't want to obey? All right? So he's really connecting the two together. All right? Any thoughts on that? Amen. Richard, is this how everyone was? Whatever you said, they all just went like this. We agree. That is awesome. I love it when that happens, yes.
2: Abraham really trusted God, I and obedience when he offered Isaac.
0: That had to be the worst day of his life. Yeah. And that,
2: took a lot of faith.
0: that would have taken a lot of faith. And I think I still think Isaac remembered that. How could you forget that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. How could you not have nightmares, you know? You ready to
2: light the fire?
0: Yes. Yeah. You're You're carrying your own end. Yes. Yeah, Richard.
2: You know, the thing that strikes me, this ties to the last verse of Hebrews
0: 11. Ha- okay, say that again. The last verse of Hebrews 11. You're going into the New Testament here. Love it.
2: Verse 39. It's already mentioned a whole bunch of people. All these people... We have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had
0: promised. Right. Some people died before it happened. Yeah.
2: And that's the thing. We have the, all through the Old Testament, mm-hmm. many of us living our lives today, yeah. has not received it all. Right. And you know we have uh, if we're really blessed. We
0: don't worry about it. There you Here go. There you go. All right, let's go to the next verse, next page. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my wife. Oh, wait, he didn't say that. She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. When, I, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Mm, yes. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Now this should strike a familiar chord, should it not? You know the old saying, "Like father, like son." Well, there you got it right there. Yeah, exactly. This is this was something that again happened in Abraham's life as well, and and that we saw consequences. So, what's interesting in the commentaries here is that the thought is is that this Abimelech is different from the previous Abimelech just because of the length of time that would have passed. So, But because they shared the same name, then you think, well, it must have been the family sort of um, dynasty would have been the father or the grandfather, and then that the next king is named Abimelech, and then the next king is Abimelech, etc. So that would have been shared. So what's interesting is is that the story of what happened to the grandfather with Abraham would have been passed down to the next generations, and they would have said, you know, anytime if in the future, if you have like this Hebrew guy coming, and then he claims that this beautiful wife is really his sister, don't go there, right? You know, I mean, you sort of get that sense of that, that there would have been that. because Because, again, there's an immediate... Reaction that Abimelech the king has to seeing uh, uh, Rebekah and Isaac messing around and whatever it is that they're doing as husband and wife that that the English here says I'll have to look that up to see what the Hebrew Hebrew is often quite um, vivid. Okay, <laughs> so I'll have to look that up and see exactly what that Hebrew word is. But nonetheless, I mean they're married and so that was okay. So what happens is is Abimelech immediately summons Isaac, and he says, what are you doing? Why did you do this? All right, let's pick it up. Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely put, be put to death. So that cleared it up, right? There was going to be absolutely no interest, um, or even if there was interest, there wasn't going to be any activity that would have moved from uh, uh, Abimelech or his, any of the people there in, uh, in, in that town in Gerar. So verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants, Abraham, right, father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug at the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. So what do we make of this, um, this interlude in the narrative of the digging of wells and then the stopping of wells and then we have Abraham's wells, and then we have the Philistines filling them up. And, and what, what do you make of that? It's a little tit for tat, all right? There could have been some of that, right? But you also get the sense here is that it was really all about, do we want you to stay in our region, or do we want you out of here? And the best way to get rid of somebody is to cut off their means of water. Water would would have been the number one resource. And without that, you know, your herds can't be watered, that sort of thing. Yeah, Austin. I
1: have a question. So mm-hmm. and maybe this is just because I don't know, but why didn't Abimelech if he sees that he the power of Yahweh, yeah, why did he not follow Yahweh after seeing this?
0: <laughs> Why don't governments follow the Lord and the Lord's work? Why don't they? Yeah, probably because um, he was reared in it. That was his culture. That was his land. Um, there's a certain amount of sovereignty that goes along with that, you know. And at this point, for them to for Abimelech and the Philistines to give up their gods would have been to give up their power base that's pretty that's that's maybe that's asking a lot i don't know but we see that all through history okay kings and other people in in power often using religion their religion as a way to um get people to do what they want them to do okay so maybe that's maybe that's part of it um maybe they weren't going to ever right there was always a natural enemy between uh between the israelites or the the hebrews and uh And the natural enemy was was the Philistines. Remember the story of David and Goliath is a good example of that, okay? But see, it was always about, from God's perspective, it was always about that are you going to use your power to serve me realizing that you got it from me in the first place, right? Or are you using your your power to serve yourself and that if you're going to use it to serve yourself, then you get this sort of hierarchy of who's on top and who's on bottom. Okay? I don't know if that answers, does that answer your yeah. question? Okay, good. Thank, whew, thank goodness. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a great question. All right. All right. So, so what the narrative says is that Isaac plants uh, crops. now. So pr- presumably the famine is over with or the famine isn't over with, but what? But God is blessing Isaac and his effort, and again, because Isaac is doing what? He's saying, okay, Lord, uh, it doesn't make any sense for us to stay here because there's a famine here. Why would we stay here? But I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to go to Egypt like everybody else says I should. And so then what happens is he plants a crop, and guess what happens? It, 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 uh, it's bountiful, okay? So what we have in verse 17, though, is kind of interesting. Once again, he's forced to move. Now, this time it's not a famine. This time it's not a hurricane. This time it's not government overreach. It's none of those things, right? All it is 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 that he's got to go find a place where he can dig wells and doesn't have to deal with the issue of somebody coming and filling him in. Right? So Abimelech says, move away. Okay, I'm going to move away. So let's see if that theme repeats itself. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So they're fighting over you know, mineral uh, rights and water rights, right? So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. What do you notice about his perspective toward He's having to move and move and move. Dig a well, somebody says, you can't have it, that belongs to us. Dig another well, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Finally, he reaches the place where nobody's going to argue with him over who owns what. What is his perspective toward all of that that he went through?
2: Say it again. Why why didn't God
0: did some go there <laughs> oh, that's a good that i I did not even see that answer coming, yeah, that would have been God Lord, it would have been just easier if you told us to go way over there instead of having to move each time. Well, that wasn't what I was thinking, but anyway, what do you think God would have answered him on that one? <laughs> well, think about it, maybe. Maybe, you know, don't we ask that question? Don't we say that all the time? We say, why did I have to go through all those hard things in order to get to the best thing? Lord, why didn't you just like say, well, don't go through the hard things. Just go over there to the best thing. Why why didn't you know? That's a great that's a great point, Barbara. So um, what would God have said if if you had said that? Absolutely. Trust. Trust. I think
2: trust, I it, trust.
0: trust me. Yeah. yeah. See, because learning, learning trust. I mean, I really think this is true that it it takes some doing to learn to trust that God knows what He's doing, especially when you keep hitting these roadblocks and you think, Gosh, it'd be a whole lot easier if we just, you know, skipped over that and went to the easy thing. So I think there's some there is some truth to that. That, that we would wrestle with that, but that we're growing in this by obe- obeying even when it doesn't make any sense to do that. Okay, What other possibilities are there of his faith perspective? Yeah. You, you have,
2: your, your brain takes time to be able to understand certain things.
0: Your brain takes time to understand certain things. Yeah. This is true in marriage, that's for sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> A good example is,
0: Kathy told me about her vision problem. Yeah, when we got there, Kathy. So, um, is are, is it okay if we talk about your vision? Okay. Is is <laughs> oh, y'all yeah, are already okay. I see. That's why I'm sensitive that I'm going to ask. It is okay. You. Okay, thank you. Right. Keep it short. But <laughs> it was years, Twenty
2: years until my eyes, if you will, were open to see how she sees
0: you were blind to her vision problem how ironic
2: i knew that
0: okay you knew
2: i knew that yes that i couldn't conceive of it okay
0: okay very male yeah. there you go <laughs>
2: There's so many things that we mm-hmm. gradually move along the pathway until we That's can right. Right. understand that. I mean, it's true. Trust.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what might be benefits that come with taking the harder road instead of jumping to the easy one?
2: Gratitude,
0: Gratitude might be that. Okay, what else?
1: Insight <laughs> experience.
0: Yeah, experience. You know, the fact that you say, you know what, I didn't die from that. And in fact, maybe it may be a little stronger. And maybe I was able, in some sense, to be prepared for the next thing. Because you don't know what the next thing is. But probably the next thing may not be the easiest thing. Yes?
2: I also think that it's really easy to be obedient on an
0: easy road. Oh, it's easy to be obedient on the easy road. So how do
2: you know if that's really a sign of trust or just taking the easy road? So in order for your trust to have value, the road has to be... Yeah, that's right.
0: Because the test is, will I stick with my faith even when it appears that it's ridiculous to do that? Especially if everybody else around you is saying how ridiculous you are for holding on to that, right? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah.
2: I think that is far beyond understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's
0: beyond, beyond understanding. understanding. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It there is a a mystical side to it. All right. The great thing about faith, and we're reminded of this in the Bible, is that um it's a gift from God. Yeah. So it it's not even generated within us, it's something that God gives to us and strengthens us. But the Bible is replete with stories of the way He strengthens your faith is by making the road tougher, right? Because if it's easy, then it would be easily um, uh, uh, easy to give up on it as well. Okay? All right, well, good stuff for today. Wow, this is super. So we'll pick it up next week and see what happens with with Isaac and uh, how he is... uh, he is, he's being tested. Now, I do want to give you a little heads up on December. Because in December, everything changes regarding our uh, being able to meet in Bible study. The kids' programs come up. Okay, that's a normal thing for us in December. And I'll put this all together on the, on the lesson next week. But then also, Christmas Day is on Sunday. And New Year's Day is on Sunday. So that will affect our being here. So you know how I like to say it, that sometimes our being away from each other is a blessing for you and for me. So, you know, we, uh, we, we, we all need a break from each other, and so that is a wonderful gift that we can receive from God. Okay. All right, let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today, and thank you for the fact that your word speaks such truth to us not only about all those things that happened way back in the days of the Old Testament, but how true they are for us today. Lord, we know the road of faith is hard today. It's, it's, it's being challenged in all circles. So many people are searching for truth, and so many people are looking and, and clamoring for truth, but, uh, but not sure where they can find it. Lord, we're so grateful that you give us the truth of your love for us and you give it to us in the stories and the narratives that we have in the Old Testament. So help us, Lord, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our trust, to, uh, to go ahead and obey, to, to follow your word, to trust that it is truth that is worth believing. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray those things in Jesus' name.